But if you bring it up to the idea of being Catholic, there really is a more or less Catholic reality. Just like you can have more or less Coke. I can drink something and say that is not, I mean, it's like Coke, but it's not as Coke as that is. And we talked about this last time. The more noble example of Coke will more closely approach the fullness of Cokeness, if you will. And so it is with Catholicism and belonging to the church. There is a reality where I can more or less belong, more or less participate, more or less approach that ideal of what it means to be Catholic. Welcome to Le Bon V, a podcast offering from John Paul the Great Academy, where we talk about the good life. I'm Kyle Aborado, one of your hosts, and your other host with me here today is Deacon Adam Conk. I'm so excited, I really am, about our three-part series we're doing here, Classical Catholic and Classically Catholic, if you will, or Classical Catholic Education, because these are ideas that are so important to our school and our community, and you know, I've enjoyed uh, your thoughts on these matters, Mr. Alvarado, and I'm sure our listeners are as well. So I'm excited about today. Likewise, and I'm eager to to hear a lot of your thoughts on on this word Catholic, the word Catholic. Yes. Um, for me, for a long time, it 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 just meant uh, the Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and I didn't have this appreciation of of the fact that well, the word is Greek. Yes. And it's important as a descriptor of the church of Jesus Christ. So, Deacon Conk, what, what is Catholic? What does that word mean? Well, as you said, it's a Greek word, but it, it means universal, I guess, is its most common etymological translation, universal. But we can't think of that in a, you know, like modern scientific sense of universal, meaning, you know, if we go out to the edge of the universe, we'll find Catholics or like the church wants to spread to the edge of the universe. I mean, it does in a way, but that's not what we mean by universal. Um, well, at you, least we hope so, you know, if we find aliens or oh, yeah. intelligent aliens. Yeah, sign me up if there's, you know, someone on uh, Andromeda, you know, somewhere out there that needs the gospel. I'll go. <laughs> Send me, Lord. But um, no, this idea of universal one verse that, that there's one church of all time and all place. And that God has gathered all humanity, or is gathering all the humanity he will gather from the blood of his cross. He said, you know, um, the night before he died, drank this. This is the blood of the covenant for the forgiveness of many, right? So that many that will be forgiven over all time and space is gathered into one church, and that is the Catholic Church. And um, that's important to say, I think, especially for our conversations of classical and Catholic as we talk about the church is that the church really is universal. And if you remember from last episode, we brought up the idea of, in uh, Greek philosophy of universals being very important. That is something that is objectively true, or it's a form of a thing in which the particular things participate, but it is that thing. So we talked about classic Coke 
classic rock. The, there's this form of what Coke is, this form of what rock is. There's a form of what a human being is, what human nature is, that is objectively true, whether I want to acknowledge it or not, and that I, as a human being, participate in it. And the church is like this. The church is universal. That means there's it's an objective reality that exists, whether I'm in the church or not, whether I like it or not. The church is what she is. It's, it's a mystery. And in every time and place and circumstance, the church is that same concrete mystery that we participate in. There's this underlying unity that you're talking about that that gives will rise to both existence and meaning for things within within uh, the umbrella of, of Catholic, but that also seems to entail a kind of fullness that that if a thing has this underlying unity, then entering into it provides a certain kind of fullness. Yes, it is, and we talked about this last time that in the classical worldview, you seek the most noble of things, the most noble class, if you will. And this is the context, I think, that you can talk about the church as the fullness of truth, the Catholic church as the fullness of truth, in that truth itself is present in our church. Now, the word church means an assembly, right? It's a, yeah, um, an ecclesia. Ecclesia, ecclesia. And it's, it's the gathering of the father of all of his children through grace in his son. That through Christ, the Father has a plan to gather people of all time and places until his Son returns. Forever in heaven, he's gathered us together. And so the church in this life is that gathering force where God, through his Son, through his, the body of his Son, the church, is gathering all people to himself. It's the gathering, the ecclesia, the assembly. And uh, the truth, objectively speaking, is a person, Jesus Christ, who dwells in this assembly as its head, but also in its members. Um, so the church is universal. The church is this gathering of all time and places. And uh, we are at John Paul the Great Academy striving to belong in, to this church in a very full way. Remember we talked about, you brought up the Coke example, which I love. We don't want to well, be... Dr. Perrin, I got to give yeah, credit Dr. where Perrin. credit's due. Dr. Christopher Perrin, thank you for that. But if you bring it up to the idea of being Catholic, there really is a more or less Catholic reality. Just like you can have more or less Coke. I can drink something and say that is not, I mean, it's like Coke, but it's not as Coke as that is. And we talked about this last time. The more noble example of Coke will more closely approach the fullness of Cokeness, if you will. And so it is with Catholicism and belonging to the church. There is a reality where I can more or less belong, more or less participate, more or less approach that ideal of what it means to be Catholic. And we look to our canonized saints as those that, who live out the most noble existence as a Catholic or as a Christian. And I measure myself by these saints. This is why they're canonized. They are the measure with which canon means measure, right? Measurement. Yeah, not boom, but right. <laughs> yeah. They're not shot out of a cannon in St. Peter's Square. Not yet. Not yet. Or at least some of them were shot with a cannon, but not shot out of a cannon in when they're canonized. But um, I think well, I'm, this I'm is... just kind of waiting for the the first, you know, daredevil saint <laughs> who might be shot of a cannon. That might be you one day. Uh... <laughs> if John Bosco could have, St. John Bosco would have shot himself out, out of a cannon for those little boys. He loved magic and he loved things like that. Well, yeah. He, well, he loved making uh, all these things accessible, right? <laughs> um, in whatever way he could. And I, I love how you just described this notion that by being Catholic, 
there, there's always this greater unity that we're invited to be a part of. And at the same time, so we as members of the church are always invited into the church's Catholic fullness, um, but we're also invited to uh, this Catholic mission because, as you talked about, the gathering together, uh, these are the two senses that the Catechism drives home in its section on, you know, what, what do we mean by the church as one holy Catholic and apostolic? Um, Catholic is universal. Yeah, we're universal in that we have the fullness of truth, and those who are baptized into the church, well, you know, baptism, not something that happened to us in the past. It is this ongoing reality, this ongoing call of being invited more and more fully in uh, to this universal thing, this universal um, good. But additionally, like we, we share the church's mission of evangelization. All, all men are called to the joy of the gospel, to the good news, and to have their lives transformed by it. So, yeah, I, I think it, it's, for me at least, it's easy to become complacent and to forget that when I call myself or when I call myself a Catholic, that bound up with that calling is to enter more fully into the universal good and love, which is God, and to extend that love more fully uh, through evangelization. And it seems like the very word Catholic entails the great commandment and the penultimate command commandment, you know, to love God above all. It does. And I think you bringing up baptism hits the nail on the head because if I'm baptized into Christ and part of him, which I'm immersed, baptized, another great Greek word, but I'm immersed into Christ, then that means Christ, who is the Father's plan to gather all people, I am now part of that plan to gather all people, right? I can't be Catholic and not be missionary. That'd be like saying Christ is some anything other than missionary. Christ is mission. He he is so that the Father can gather the nations of all time and place to Himself in His Son. When I'm baptized, I am now sharing in that same existence. I am on this earth to help gather all nations, all times and places to His Son. And how do we achieve this? By becoming more and more ourselves, more and more the Church, more and more Catholic. And I think that's important for those that choose John Paul the Great Academy in particular. We know that it's possible to not choose to be more and more Catholic, to not choose to be more and more evangelizing, that we can choose to stay a lesser version of Coke, a lesser version of rock music, a lesser version of Catholic. And and to put it more more, um, sternly, we know that it's possible for us to choose not to live out our baptism. Yes. But we don't want to do that. No, no. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, if, if... you're attracted to the mission of John Paul the Great Academy. Part of that attraction, I think, is that inward yearning and desire, that mark, that that you know, eternal mark and charism that we get from baptism. Character, sorry, we get charisms from baptism too. But that that character marks us and brands us and, and sets us apart, and and draws us back to the Father. And and so, this is Le Bon Vie, uh, the Good Life. Um, we're talking about having a great conversation about the the word Catholic. And so, Deacon Conk, one of the things that strikes me about uh, the description you gave earlier is that the word Catholic almost has a Trinitarian-type meaning, you know, to to give, to receive, and to, um, and to then send forth. 
And, and I think it takes a classical mind or classical view of things to arrive at that, because if I acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is as the way, the truth, and the life, that he is one with the Father, that he is an objective reality that I discover, this all takes a classical view of things because Jesus is not who I think he is or create him to be, mm-hmm. which is the modern view or the postmodern view. Jesus is not someone I manipulate. I don't turn Jesus into my image. That's the most modern postmodern Christianity. Yeah. Or Jesus is not a nice guy. Yeah, He's, which is what who would like we would like him to be, right? But right. rather Jesus is someone I discover. I'm conformed to him. That takes a classical motivation, right? Yeah. And uh, a certain kind of docility. And in that docility, I begin to see what only the classical mind sees when they read the scriptures, which is the Trinity as he is, as God really is. Because the modern postmodern view of the Trinity will want to turn the Trinity into this is how God relates to me. And this is why you see a lot of postmoderns and moderns talk about the Trinity as, you know, the creator, the redeemer, the sanctifier. Not a, not not true. There's truth to that. But that's all in relation to me. <laughs> God creates me. God redeems me. God sanctifies me. Well, yeah, that's true. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit takes a classical motivation to want to understand and penetrate that mystery, which is why I think Augustine could do so so beautifully because of Plato's philosophy, which influenced his theology, because he's discovering a life that is Trinitarian, that the Father who generates the Son gives life to him. The Son who generated by the Father returns that life in gratitude, and God knows himself in the Word, who is the Son, and he loves himself, or the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father in the Holy Spirit. And to be in awe of this Trinitarian mystery as the foundation of everything that is, that's why God creates, that's why God redeems, that's why God sanctifies, it takes that classical view to really want to dive into that. In other words, uh, the incarnation changed everything, (laughs) right? And it's hard to think about this too much without uh, worrying about, you know, straying into heretical territory, but it almost seems like the classic worldview made the incarnation able to be meaningful to man. Yes. What do we read in Scripture? In the fullness of time, God came, took on human flesh, right? Took on our human nature. What is this fullness of time? Well, one way we could look at it is is the cultural chapters of history. God didn't come in a postmodern time. He didn't come in a modern time. He didn't come in a romantic time. He came in a classical time. Now, was everybody classical? No. And there was this tension even in his life as, as a as a Palestinian Jew, of that more tribal time of me and my people, the Jews, and their culture in tension with this empirical time of the Greco-Roman world, but yet the dominant cultural view, and in that case really dominant as an oppressive, was this classical view of things. And so he lived in a culture of this tension between the Jewish view, the tribal view, the revealed view of the world in dialogue with the classical view of the world. That's the fullness of time, where revelation meets classical views. <laughs> like, that's the fullness of time. Yeah, yeah. That, in, in some ways, the eternal logos waited till man had similar words 
to make sense of the eternal world. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Elaborate, please. <laughs> well, that, uh, oh gosh, it's going to put me on the spot here. <laughs> it's easy to say, um, you know, sound bites that sound profound <laughs> and to unpack them. Well, that that's the magisterium's job, right? To unpack. That's right. And make accessible. But I guess what I mean by that is that the classical worldview um, developed certain terms, like this term, the soul. Yes. Um, you know, in Jewish culture, we get this idea of spirit, but it was... Well, it was Greek, this notion of soul, the, the principle of animation for a living body, the form of a living body. And Greek culture also produced the insight that whatever this soul is for man, that principle of animation, it cannot be material. It cannot be bounded because man is able to do things in a universal Catholic way, you mm -hmm. know. There's an infinite number of possible sentences that I could say, and that would make sense to you. And that is just one example of many different occasions where we have a universal capacity yeah. that is not bounded, but is infinite. And the insight, I mean, just using the natural law, if a thing has a property, then its container must be bigger than the property or the same size of the property, so to speak. Um, in other words, you cannot have a finite container that contains something infinite. Well, man's soul, uh, this container for these powers of man has to be the same size or bigger than those powers. And if those powers are infinite, then man's soul is eternal. And even further developments with, you know, the very notion of a sign, a sign, this, this, this thing whose very existence and nature is to point to something else. Yeah. Uh, all this language bound up and, and even the Greek word logos, which yes. is, doesn't mean word. Um, I guess it can be translated, um, a word as term or reason or You'd have to qualify. <laughs> You'd have to yeah. qualify it. Um, what logos would mean to a classical individual is that very fabric that allows anything to have meaning. Yes. The very fabric of reality that allows signs to exist. And St. John the Evangelist, he's, he, his pen wrote down and the logos became flesh. Yeah. Right? Like that was the the inspired word that was written down in the fullness of time. Um, you know, another example of that where I think kind of highlights the distinction of um, Catholic versus Jewish. Cause you know, it, it is true that our Catholic faith in Christ comes to fulfill the old Testament, to fulfill the old covenant. Right. Right. Um, but it is also true that he, that word Catholic and this idea of the church is something altogether new. So it's not just Jewish chapter two, but it is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith, it is fulfillment of the Jewish revelation, but it's something altogether new. It really is a new covenant, as he said. And I think the word uh, cosmos kind of makes all of these points, because that is a very Greek word, and yeah. a recent Greek word at the time of Christ, as far as the way Christ used it. Um, it was only, I think, 100, 200 years before Christ came that the cosmos, the way Christ means it, was starting to be used in that Greek culture. But in the, the Jewish sense of the world, 
it was quite different. And so anyway, over 150 times we find this Greek word in the New Testament. Mm. And it's given a certain emphasis that is altogether new than we find the idea of the world in the Old Testament. Not completely different because it's fulfilled, right? So partial and fulfillment. But it is a unique Greek contribution, I think, or at least that Christ takes up. And so to be Catholic doesn't just mean to be Jewish point two, I mean 2.0. It doesn't just mean to carry that banner, but it means that we have received something completely new that is for Jew and Greek alike. Yeah. Well, and we use the term all our the phrase all the time, you know, the Catholic answer answer is usually both and, right? Mm-hmm. And when you get the both and, um, you know, Jesus, both God and man. There's something new there, the incarnation, something profound, something, well, I don't have a better word for new. Like you said, <laughs> something new. Very new. Yeah, and profound and, and the center of history. And that the incarnation brings together, as Paul says, the old and new man, the Jew and the Greek. There's no longer this division between Jew and Greek. And this is possible in Christ, only in Christ, only in the incarnation. Love this conversation. It's LeBon V, Deacon Adam Conk, Mr. Kyle Alvarado, and uh, we have a wonderful quote from our patron, Pope John Paul II, about what it means to be Catholic. We do, we do. Um, and before, well, before reading this quote from Pope St. John Paul the Great's encyclical letter, Dominum et Ver... I can never say this right. Um, verif- verificantum, I think. It's beautiful. Verificantum. There you go. There you go. It's been almost 20 years now since first studying Latin, and we did classical, so... Yeah, Yeah, ecclesial Latin. Look it up. It's different. Certe. (laughs) Or certe, depending on how you look at it. Uh, But, uh, yeah, before giving this quote, though, um, building on one of the things that that you just talked about, becoming the new man, right? This, This... new thing, uh, the Greek and the Jew, and only in Christ. I think it it reminds us that this, this adjective, Catholic, entails someone who's alive. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who's got a joie de vie, uh, live, in the le, live in le bon vie, um, in Christ. You know, this insatiable appetite for what is transcendental, classical, um, and acts on it through Christ. And so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, as we use the adjective more, uh, when we describe ourselves as Catholic, that that sense of, of living out our baptism makes us fully alive because Christ makes all things new. Beautiful. And now to the church, uh, to this quote from Pope St. John Paul the Great. Again, um, it's from his encyclical letter, uh, I'll just say the English this time. Yeah, go for it. Lord and giver of life. Love it. All right, so Pope St. John Paul the Great writes, The church, therefore, instructed by the words of Christ and drawing on the experience of Pentecost and her own apostolic history, has proclaimed since the earliest centuries her faith in the Holy Spirit as the giver of life, the one in whom the inscrutable triune God communicates himself to human beings, constituting in them the source of eternal life. Now, I, I, I love this quote 
um, especially after hearing your discussion earlier, uh, that that this universal nature of the church, that there's something that is not necessarily bound by time, but at the same time exists in time. Um, and I love how Pope St. John Paul the Great, you know, this church uh, that started in Pentecost is more than just what we experience today, right? Yeah, and that's so important. And I think to kind of wrap it all together for our for our parents listening, for our community, you know, this is why so many of us have come to John Paul the Great is that we want to experience as full of a Catholic life as we can together. And this, there's a special gift that God has given to this community that that has always been the most important reason. That's been the dominant reason. And we talked last episode about how, you know, that everybody in the classical world was classically minded, but that when they got together in groups, when they did important things, they were classical. Just like today, not everybody is a postmodern, but when we get together in, <laughs> in, on TV and, and in the Senate, we're, we're postmodern. That's like your opinion, man. Yeah, that's my opinion, <laughs> man. But so it is with our school. When we get together for mass, when we get together for parent formations, when we get together in class, like we are Catholic. We want to be Catholic. We want to live this full life. And it is a beautiful experience for that reason. I think a lot of folks can relate to their first moments in the school, their first visits, their first impressions. Now, that's not to say that other places aren't Catholic, and that's not to say that um, there aren't great Catholics, even holier Catholics than any of us at other schools. But we do have a unique emphasis as a dominant culture in our school on our Catholicism. It is unique. And we want to approach more and more that universal truth of the church, that universal reality of what it means to be gathered by Christ and to live in that fullness as the main reason we're there. Absolutely. And I think this is only going to be accessible to others, and it's only going to be something that that is visible as long as we in the community recognize that we're Catholic, that we are called to a greater participation in the fullness of life that is uh, mystagogy, that is mystical union with Christ. And it it ties to one of the, you know, the primary virtue for the classical world was the virtue of docility. Mm -hmm. Because only through docility are you rendered able to learn. And when we think about what does that virtue look like in the life of the church, I would submit that the virtue of docility, one, looks like the Blessed Mother in the, you know, the incarnation, in, in, her, um, in her yes. And I love how her filioque is often, not filioque, what's the word here? Her fiat. Her fiat, there we go. It's not her car, it's, uh, it's her may it be done to me. Yeah. May it be done to me. Yeah. Um, her yes um, is the Christian image of docility, this receptive openness to God. And I love that a lot of artwork with the Blessed Mother shows her with her hands on books. It shows her in this virtue of studiousness. Um, but I think for us today, uh, our primary image of docility is our Blessed Mother, that receptivity that gives birth, our, our, our um Give, gives conception to the life of Christ in us. Um, but also what that might look like is this, uh, this idea of the sensus fidelium, uh, mm -hmm. the sense of the faithful, that 
um, whenever we see the church, not just the people we're around today, not just the parish we go to, uh, but the church in all modes of existence, um, whether it's the church triumphant, the, the communion of saints in heaven, uh, the church, the church suffering, uh, purgatory, or, or the church militant, um, that whenever there is unity, universal unity among the church and all her members, then that produces a sort of supernatural appreciation to receive tradition, which is a great word to maybe transition uh, to another episode on uh, this receptivity to tradition. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're definitely going to cover that topic solo on an episode in the future, but I, I think what you're saying is so important because the classical views sees tradition as valuable because tradition is something I receive that I didn't invent. It's, yeah. it's a thing that is beyond me and beyond you. It's something we have received together that I give myself to. That is a classical ideal. Post well, in the classical world, they had a word for that. You know what it is? What? Education. Education. There you go. Um, but, you know, modern, postmodern view, you know, Catholicism, I don't have, if that's my view, I don't have a, a value on tradition because tradition is merely one example among many of how things might be that I use to manipulate to put things how I want them. That's most postmodern Catholicism. I'm going to make right. the church into what I want it to be. Tradition is an option, but if I'm not feeling that, if that's not my taste, I'll go with something else. Right? Right. <laughs> well, hence the need um, to be both Catholic and classical. And even the uh, argument for another time, can you even be Catholic without being classical? That's a question for another date. Well, this has been a great conversation. This has been a great conversation. And on that note, um, I would say that if these mics were not attached to a boom stand, that you should drop it uh, <laughs> because that was quite a, a mic drop thing. But definitely something profound, something to think about. And I look forward to our next conversation about you know, what does it mean to be both Catholic and classical? Right on. Well, thanks for joining us. Join us again next time for Le Bon Vie. I'm Deacon Adam Conk. This is Mr. Kyle Alvarado. Live the good life, folks. Viva Le Bon Vie.